0: Okay, Real Life chips. Thank you very much for that, Simon. Uh, what we're going to be looking at is that parable tonight. If you've got a Bible you want to return to Matthew 21, find that out starting at verse 28. Um, we're going to get into that in just a moment. Before we do that, though, um, I just want to give you an update. This week, I was um, at a uh leaders day for our movement of churches we're part of the catalyst network of churches which is part of the wider family of new frontiers which is a worldwide family of churches together on a mission and we gathered the leaders together uh there are all over 200 of us all coming together on zoom unfortunately we couldn't meet in person um and i just want to give you some feedback to some of the stuff that happened there stuff that went on the first thing um that struck me was the sheer number of nations represented because you've on zoom Uh, you can get people in from all over the world really easily. And I tried to jot down some of the nations that were being represented there because they came up on the screen and we had some people uh, feeding back from some of the things that were happening there. And this is our family of churches here. We think very much of the UK. This is where we are. This is where we know. But we're also connected to... Bulgaria, to Germany, to Croatia, to Bosnia-Herzegovina, to France, to Greece, to Nigeria, to Laos, to Myanmar, uh, to Malawi, into New Zealand, Iran, Montenegro, Ghana, and Zimbabwe. And they're just the ones I got to jot down. There may well have been more there. And so we were there gathered together, we were going to hear some teaching, we were going to pray together, we heard about stuff going on in nations, churches being planted, uh, many people being saved. Uh, some people were giving direct sort of thanks for when we as a church gave into the COVID-19 relief fund way back in July, and there was an outstanding response from the church in the UK. Uh, there were people there who were recipients of that saying thank you very much for that money, um, that has, uh, has helped us out a great deal Um, and so big people, some of our churches in really deprived areas. And so that was great to hear that. We then had Terry Virgo who started the New Frontiers family way back kind of in the 70s, God was using him in the 80s, and what we're a part of now came out of that. He's an old man now, but used mightily of God, and he spoke to us on the subject of prayer, which was just outstanding. It was a pre-recorded message, because they didn't want it to break down during the sort of Zoom cast, and I'm hoping they release it. If they release it, I will stick the link out for you to catch up, but it was excellent. He was uh, preaching From the life of Elijah, and I'm actually reading that in 1 Kings at the moment in my own reading, so it was great to have that. And he talked about the power of prayer and that we need to plan to pray and we need to pray back to God, His promises, and we need to be specific in prayer and we need to not give up, which I felt was powerful for us as a movement of churches, but particularly us here uh, in real life church, we've been doing that. We're going to continue to do that to pray into the promises of God be specific in our requests, we're not going to give up, we're going to keep going, and we plan it as part of our church diary, so it was a wonderful kind of uh, encouragement for us um, to keep praying, to keep going after God, we then got into groups, we got sent into breakout rooms, I ended up with a a pastor from Nigeria, and a couple of other guys, and we were praying into what God was doing in the nations, and that was a fantastic time, Uh, and then Simon Holly, who leads our uh, Catalyst Network, Movement of Churches. Um, He shared some stuff that God had been speaking to him about and to us us about as a family. And there were two sort of headlines that I just want to bring to you uh, just to bear in mind to pray uh, to. And the first one, God was saying to us that we are to prepare the ship for stormy seas. Um, It's been a difficult time. It's not necessarily going to get easier, but we need to be ready um, for more difficult times to come. We know, don't know when it's going to end, but we need to be prepared for that. You need to not be surprised, uh, and we do that by uh, continuing to pray and not giving up. That was a real emphasis. We need to be praying as individuals, uh, as as churches, as a movement into all that's God's doing, and be ready uh, for what's happening in our church setups. But also, the second thing is we prepare to deliver life. So we prepare for stormy seas, but we're also to prepare to deliver life because god is going to do something massive in this time he's going to give us opportunities to preach the good news of jesus that we in ways we haven't done before in individual ways there's a, a more openness as people's lives have been shaken slightly by everything that's going on and so it was an excellent time and i just wanted to share some of the stuff with with you if those um talks become available i will put them out so you can um uh, have a listen yourselves but be encouraged we are here in Sutton Coldfield, one little part um, of this nation which is part of a great big world but God is doing stuff all over the world so many nations and uh, our family is growing and multiplying um, there were stories from South Sudan of hundreds getting saved and pictures of them and this was in a persecuted nation God is doing great things and what you're a part of what we're a part of is massive, and we're only one little part of the great body of Christ where God is doing many things all over the world. So it's encouraging stuff. So let's get on with um, our sermon. We're going to be looking at this parable that Simon just read to us. Now, we've been studying some of the parables, and parables are stories that Jesus told. They're little stories with big ideas that on the surface seem can be very straightforward, but they all contain deep uh, spiritual truths which we have to apply ourselves uh, to understand. Those with hard hearts who are, aren't willing to go anywhere with God will miss the message uh, and not get anything out of this. But those who have um, tender hearts will learn from them. Um, parables are designed to challenge us, to provoke us, to teach us, to expose our hearts, to, to provoke us, to ask questions of ourselves. Uh, and then we have to res- work out how we're going to respond are we going to respond with humility or we're we going to sp- respond with pride and arrogance uh, are we going to accept who Jesus is and what he's saying or we're we going to reject uh, who Jesus is saying and tonight we've got another one of those parables and the big idea we're going to be looking at today is that performance takes priority over promise performance takes priority over promise so I hope you've got your bible open Matthew 21 and we're starting at verse 28. But before we get into that, if you just scan back through the previous uh, section of Matthew 21, because when you're going to look at a passage of the Bible, you want to see the context. What what's happen? Where's it come in? And so far in chapter 21, Matthew, in writing his gospel, has put several things down. He's ordered his material for us to learn from. And so chapter 21 begins with the triumphal entry. Uh, Palm Sunday, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. It's the beginning of the final week of Jesus' life. It ends uh, on the Friday with his death on the cross and so he's come into jerusalem and there's been great praise people waving pram branches hosanna is the one who comes in the name of the lord this is fantastic uh, the messiah has come to his city and then jesus goes into the temple and he sees the money lenders those people who are conning uh worshippers out of their money so they have to change up their money and they're taking a car a bit and jesus gets so angry with them he says my house uh, should be a house of prayer and he kicks them all out, and then the blind and the lame come, and they are healed, and the children are running around the temple proclaiming who Jesus is, he's the one, he's Messiah, he's healing people, and then we have the next story where Jesus is uh, returning from the uh, going back and forth from the temple. And he comes across a fig tree. And the fig tree is uh, beautiful. It's all got its leaves out. But when they look, there's no fruit. So despite looking good, there's no fruit in the tree. And he curses the fig tree because it's not producing the fruit uh, it should be. And then follows on from there that Jesus' authority is challenged by the religious leaders at the time those would have been around the temple. uh, And they use uh, the example of John the Baptist saying, you know, where do you get your authority from? And John the Baptist is a figure that's come up in Matthew and his gospel back in chapter three. He came uh, preaching uh, repentance. He was the the forerunner to Jesus. He was the one who paved the way for Jesus and then he pointed to Jesus saying this is the one I've been telling you about and then later in Matthew's gospel uh, we find out that he was murdered. He was killed unjustly by King Herod and we're going to come back to John later so just bear him in mind and so after all that we get to the parable. So Jesus has come to God's city. He's come to God's temple as the chosen king and he has received both praise and adoration but he's also found a barren temple and found opposition uh, to who he is and what he's trying to do and into that context Jesus tells this parable the parable of the two sons and it's a, a parable of contrast of those who accept Jesus and those who reject Jesus and it begins right in verse 28 with um, Jesus saying to the the religious leaders what do you think so it's an invitation here for us to think and like all parables it's going to provoke us into making some decisions um, about our life so I want to go through the parable we're going to look at the first son the second son uh, the question and then the explanation so verse uh, 28 and 29 begins with a picture of a man a father and he has two sons and he goes to his first son now the first son was likely the elder one doesn't say it but that would that would be kind of custom how it would and he says to his first son he says go and work in the vineyard today that's what i need to do you go and do your job in the vineyard what he was actually asked to do is unspecified Uh, he's obviously the son must have done it many times must have known what it is and the father said, Might, you need to go and work in the vineyard today. The vineyard would have been owned by the father and it would have been kind of the source of their income, uh, sort of the family business. And the son is being asked to take part in his father's work and go and serve and work in the vineyard and be useful in kind of help producing the crop that would then uh, provide for the family. The son refuses the request, which is uncharacteristic of the time. Uh, because sons were usually obedient to their father that's what would have been culturally the norm culturally acceptable they would have done what he says and he says rather bluntly when the father says can you go he just says i won't well i will not i'm not going to work in the vineyard today which is quite a strong sort of just not not interested not doing it however it says the son changed his mind that's the language and the language there is a language of repentance he turned around and went the other way. He was going one way of of refusal, no I'm not, I'm not going to work, but then he had changed his mind. He obviously thought about it more and he turned around completely 180 degrees, went back the other way and so that son ends up actually doing what he's being asked despite the initial uh, refusal. Then we come to the second son in verse 30 and the same, uh, the exact opposite happens to him, but there is something that is similar, and that is the request from the father is the same. He goes to the second son and he says, and he says the same thing. So we can't be argued that there were different results uh, based on different requests, because the requests are identical. Go work in the vineyard today. Same thing he'd said to the first son. And the second son then answers, I go, sir. Very polite, affirmative response. Total opposite of the first son. The first son said, nope, not going. The second son, yes, I will go. But he did not go. He said yes, but then his actions didn't marry up with that, and he ended up not going in the vineyard. So same request to the first son, the same request to the second son. The first son said no, ended up going. Second son said yes, but ended up not going. Jesus then, beginning of th- verse 31, asked the question, which of the two did the will of his father? And He's asking the audience, he's a good teacher, get the, uh, the audience involved, make them think. He said at the beginning of the parable, you're going to have to think about this. And there's really only one obvious answer. And if you've heard the parable that Simon just read, it's obvious. Which son did the will of the father? Well, it was the first son. He ended up doing what his father asked him to do. The second son, although uh, he said yes, he said he would do it, he didn't follow through on his word. What counted was not promise, but performance, performance triumph promise and so jesus then goes on to the explanation which you find kind of halfway through verse 21 so he's, he's given the illustration two sons he's then asked the question well which one did it well it's clearly it's the first son and then it's, it's a break he says jesus said to them and he begins by saying truly I say to you, and when Jesus says that, if you've got a Bible, it's worth kind of making a note of that, underlining that, that means something serious is about to come. The first stuff's quite straightforward. Two sons, and we can kind of see the difference, and it's obvious which one who was doing the right thing is the first son. But then Jesus gives an explanation. He says, truly I say to you, The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. So Jesus is talking to the religious leaders here. And the first thing he says, he talks about bad people. He talks about the tax collectors and the prostitute. And they would have been the epitome in that culture of the bad people. Who are the bad people, people you don't like, people you look down on, the people who kind of, oh, we just shake our heads at. It was these guys. It was the tax collectors and the prostitutes. The tax collectors were thieves and traitors. Uh, they were collaborators with Rome, who was the occupying enemy force uh, in Israel at the time, and tax collectors worked for them. And so they were traitors. They were working with the enemy and they were hated as a result. And what was made it even worse was they were thieves, because in collecting taxes, they said to Rome, we'll, we'll collect your taxes on your behalf. And then they went to their um, uh, fellow Israelites and said, you need to pay taxes to Rome. Here's how much. But they bumped up the prices and basically pocketed the difference they stole so they were israelites stealing from their fellow israelites and giving the money uh, that rome needed there and then pocketing the difference they were getting rich off their own people and so they were hated around and then you have the prostitutes who were people who traded uh, their bodies for money and both these groups were in direct violation of the commandments of the law of the torah they were rebels against god's law and basically their lifestyle and what they did um, cut them off Uh, from any kind of religious observant in the the people of Israel they wouldn't have been allowed to go to the temple they wouldn't have been allowed they wouldn't have been uh, part of kind of God's people in society they would have been ostracized put out and especially according to the religious leaders who the ones Jesus was talking to and so he says so he brings in these bad people and then he says to them something that is truly shocking he says they go into the kingdom of God so these bad people enter God's kingdom. Now there's a little hint of this coming in the parable, and that is that the Jesus used the image of a vineyard, and a vineyard in the Old Testament was a picture of the nation of Israel. It was a picture of the nation, that even the temple itself had a huge vine built into the architecture that you could see uh, with grapes and, and the whole vine branches, so it was very much part of the temple uh, structure, and it was used to describe uh, Israel as a nation. And so Jesus is saying that they, they were going to work in the vineyard. They were part of what God was doing in Israel. And he uses this phrase, the kingdom of God, which has come up in our parables. We've seen this um, a number of times. And the kingdom of God is simply put where God is ruling and reigning in someone's life. It's not a geographical area like a United Kingdom where we live. It's actually where God is ruling and reigning. So it could be in anywhere. It could be in any place. And he's saying the true Israel Is where people are obeying God and following his laws. And he's saying, these prostitutes and tax collectors, they are entering God's kingdom they're entering God's kingdom, they're going into God's kingdom. Now, just to clarify the point, he's not saying that they're carrying on living their sinful lives, breaking God's law. When he uses that word go, it implies a progression, implies change. And so he's talking about people who have met God, made a change in their life, and then are entering God's kingdom. The classic example of this is if you read Luke's gospel chapter 19, we find a man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. And the whole point of the story is he encountered Jesus. He had a dynamic uh, kind of a relationship with him. And as a result, his life is completely changed. He says like, he recognizes what he's done. He recognizes he's stolen. He's a thief. And he says, I'm going to pay it all back. His life is turned around completely um, having met Jesus. And Jesus is saying, these people you think are bad, you think are on the outside. They are, their lives are being turned around and they are coming into God's kingdom. And he's talking to the religious leaders here, the ones who thought they were in God's kingdom, who thought they knew it all, Uh, experts in the law. And he's saying, no, these guys, these tax collectors, they're getting into God's kingdom. And then he says at the end, the two worst words they wanted to hear, he says, they're doing it before you. Those wicked people that you look down on and you think are outside what God could be doing. They're making it into his kingdom before you you think you're good you think you've got it all sewn up you're thinking right but actually you're not making it in these people are making it in those who've kind of have an outward show of religious observant are finding themselves falling short of what god is doing but those ones who are outside those ones they think are really bad living bad lives actually they're the ones making it in and the reason these then jesus then gives a reader in the last part of it he says they listen to John. So this comes back to John the Baptist, who we just mentioned earlier, previously in Matthew's Gospels and previously in this chapter. It says, John the Baptist came preaching the way of righteousness. You go back to Matthew chapter three, you find John's ministry in full flow. It says crowds came to him from all over. His word went far and wide. It was kind of it was everyone knew about John, this crazy guy in the wilderness. He was preaching repentance. He was baptizing people in the River Jordan. And Jesus says he came preaching the way of righteousness, which is a reference there linking to God's kingdom and he simply says you did not believe him you did not believe him you you kind of heard about it you knew what was going on you didn't believe him and then he talks about these tax collectors and prostitutes said they believed in him they believed in him they 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 listened to his message they repented they turned around they changed their mind And they gained God's kingdom. They believed him. They believed his message. They put their faith and trust in him. And the religious leaders who he's talking to simply did not believe. And he even says, and even when you saw it, and he's referring there to the crowds coming, lives being changed, people being baptized as a result. So they actually saw the evidence of the ministry of John. And they still didn't change their minds. Same language there that we found earlier in the parable. And they didn't believe him. They refused to repent. They hardened their hearts. They said, We, we see lives change, like Zacchaeus' characters would have been there. We see lives change, and we refuse to believe it. And so Jesus is making a, a link there that their belief and their, their, their repentance, it's all kind of caught up in this message for entering God's kingdom. And he's making an accusation against those religious teachers. So what can we learn from this parable? What can we um, take away tonight and learn from this? Well, I want to do three things for you. The first one is that God commands that all should follow his will. First thing we learn, God commands that all should follow his will. The command in the story from the father to the two sons was the same. It was the same for the first son. It was the same for the second son. They both heard the same thing. It didn't change. And we find in in, in reading the background of this, the message of John and the message of Jesus, again, didn't change. John was saying, you need to repent. You need to get right with God. There's one coming who is great and You need to listen to him. And then when Jesus comes, he says, he's the one. And then Jesus continues with that message. He says, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the good news. And he goes about demonstrating the kingdom time and time again, proclaiming himself, be the one John was talking about. He's the long awaited Messiah and at Jesus death and resurrection he rose from death he spoke to his followers and he says you go and keep proclaiming my message throughout the whole world take what you learned from me and go and teach everyone else it and the church has been doing that for 2000 years we haven't changed the essential message of who Jesus was and is and what he will do in the future has not changed and does not change. And it doesn't change uh, whoever the, the audience is. It doesn't matter your gender, your age and nationality, your language, your ethnicity, your social status, your profession, uh, your health or your wealth, or whether you think you're good or bad. The message is the same. Yes, we contextualize it for different cultures and places, but at its core, Jesus was and is the Messiah the long-awaited one by Israel, promised by God. He is God the Son, born of a virgin, come to earth as a man. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross in our place for our sin. He rose bodily from death. He ascended into heaven. He rules and reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day he will come again to judge the living and the dead and usher in his new kingdom rule. And we will all have to stand before him and give an account of how we lived um, our lives and responded to his message. And the command is for all mankind it's for everyone and we've all been called by God to respond in repentance and faith and in our story the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the religious leaders all heard the same message and so do we the second thing we can learn from this is how we respond to God's commands dictates if we enter his kingdom how we respond dictates if we enter the kingdom the message is for everyone And how we respond is vital. The two sons heard the same message, but responded differently. One pleased his father with the response, the other didn't. And the same is true for us now. We have to make a response. And just to be clear, no response is a response. We all hear the same message and we all have to make a response. You have to make a choice about Jesus and his message. Are you going to believe it? And accept it or are you going to reject it it's binary it's one or the other you have to make your choice and whichever one we choose will have consequences those who accept it will enter god's kingdom receive forgiveness new life a uh, new life sorry and enjoy the fruit of god's love and mercy those who do not accept it will suffer the consequences of their rebellion and the uncomplied punishment that goes with it and the fact that God has given this message to is a message of mercy and grace, giving time for us to respond in faith. And we see in the story, it says that the tax collectors and the prostitute made different choices to the religious leader. The third thing we can learn from this is that actions speak louder than words. There were two sons. They gave different verbal responses and then different actions out of that. And it's clear from the passage that what we do is more important than what we say we have to walk the talk we have to back up what we say with actions the tax collector uh, sorry yeah the tax collector and the prostitutes representing the first sons and the religious leaders were the second sons the religious leaders made all the outward signs yes we'll go yes we'll do it but their hearts were far from god Jesus called them hypocrites in other places in the Gospels. He referred to them as whitewashed tombs. So these were magnificent buildings, all covered in whitewash that caught the sun. They looked beautiful. But inside, all there were were dead bodies and decaying bones. They looked good on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. They had robes and positions and titles. They memorized their Bible. They even had scriptures put in little boxes and put on the head so they could be close to God's word. They made long and loud prayers, but they did not enter God's kingdom. Because they didn't know God and they hadn't repented of their sins and they hadn't put their faith and trust in God. Outwardly, it was all yes, yes, yes. But inwardly, it was not. Backed up with actions, they had not changed their mind and chosen to believe in John's message and then later Jesus' message. On the other hand, you have the sinners, those tax collectors, who know they'd failed, know they'd messed up, know I'm not going to do what you want, know I'm not going to do what you said. But then they did have a change of heart, and in their actions, they shown that they had repented of their sin, they're trusting God, and they'd been forgiven and accepted and were part of God's kingdom looking the part simply does not cut it. It has to be backed up with actions. And these come from a changed heart that loves God and wants to follow him. So what can we do now? What can we do uh, now um, as a church here this evening in response to this? Well, two groups. If you're, we can talk to you if you're not a believer, if you are a believer. So if you are not a believer here and you know you're not a believer, uh, I want to urge you, I want to encourage you to hear the command of God. I want you to hear the command of God. I want you to recognize where you've fallen short. I want you to change your mind, to repent, turn away from living life your own way, to love and to follow Jesus. And this isn't just a decision you make, kind of like a one-off, I'll just say something, but then not back it up. It's a lifestyle that we live in response to what God has done with our heart. And when it comes to talking to people who don't know Jesus, they you can kind of fall, yourself, fall into two groups. There are those who know that they've done stuff wrong. They know that they have uh, turned away from God. They've known that they've cursed his name. They said that he doesn't believe. They've lived their own life their own way and happily broken what they think are God's commandments. And they know that they're in a state and they know they're in a problem and they need to turn away from that um, and, and put their faith and trust in him. But there are also those who think they're too good for god and they're in just the same boat in fact they're probably in a worse boat than those who know they've failed they think they're good enough they're like the religious leaders you think actually we do enough they're self-righteous they're arrogant they're proud but it's all based on their own works if we do stuff if i'm not as bad as those people over there if i if i try and live a good upright life i try to be moral. then i'll be okay no you won't Jesus tells this story to remind the self-righteous and the arrogant, no, you won't. You cannot earn your way into God's kingdom. It only comes through repentance, through turning away and living your life after Jesus, receiving forgiveness of your sin and putting your faith and trust in him. So whether you stand, whether you know you're bad for God or you think you're too good for God, both of you need to turn around and you need to put your faith and trust in him and enter God's kingdom. What about if you're a believer here? What about if you know you've made uh, a commitment to follow him. You know you've been following him maybe for years of your life. I just want to challenge you with a question um, as we finish. And this question is this: Where are your words louder than your actions? Where are your words louder than your actions? If you're a, a follower of Jesus, uh, you're a Christian. You've made that commitment. You've chosen to, like the story, to work in the vineyard for your father your lives have been changed. But actually, sometimes there are bits of our lives that we don't let God change. Um, I was out uh, for a walk the other day and it was one of those frosty mornings that we had earlier in the week. And I was walking um, along the pathway and uh, the tarmac on the path was just a little bit slippery because of the frost. And so you had to be a bit careful where I put my feet. And then I, I turned a corner and because I turned the corner, uh, down to a down a different street, the sun uh, was now had a uh, room to shine across the pathway, and what was what used to be kind of a white frosty pathway suddenly transformed, and you could see uh, the black tarmac, and it was kind of reflecting the sun as it melted the ice. And the foot, my footfall got a lot firmer. It was it wasn't unsure anymore. I could just walk normally. It was fine, it was great. And as I walked along there, I kind of forgot about where I was putting my feet because I didn't have to think about it because it was firm underfoot. And then as I walked along the path, I came um, and there were lampposts along the pathway and as I came to lampposts they cast a shadow across the path because of where the sun was shining in and the fascinating thing was as I looked down I saw there was a sliver of ice underneath the shadow of the lamppost everything else was time was clear but just under that shadow you could still see the white frost the white ice and I stopped and looked and I felt God speak about this because I was thinking through myself and what you doing and it said actually sometimes we can live life as Christians where God's has come in transformed us his light shining in our life but there are still areas in shadow there are still areas that are hidden There are still areas we're not prepared to give over to him and there's still the frost on the ground it's still cold and unsure underfoot and my challenge to you is where are those in your life where are you not living as god would want you to live where are you looking good on the outside but on the inside there are still issues. Our modern culture now with social media really encourages us to put on a show. You go on people's Facebook feeds or whatever and you look at it and you think everything's rosy in their life. But actually, in reality, if you know people and you pick on the surface, you find it's not always the case. So are there areas in your life where you know you're not living up to how it should be? I'm going to give you an opportunity to deal with that in just a moment. But there's a few things God, I felt God drop into my kind of heart that I just want to talk to you about um, and see if these are true for you. What about where are you with your Bible reading and prayer? Talked about it uh, last week, I think. As followers of Jesus, that's our bread and butter. That's what we're doing. We get into God's word. We read that daily. We, get, we have a lot We it a life of prayer and our own time praying with others, praying with us, the church. Where are you on that? We've put out some stuff um, that Matt's done uh, about from Christmas to the cross, reading through Luke at this time. Where are you on that? Are you, have you made something? Do you have something? Or are you someone, when it, if someone talks to you about that, you would change the subject. You would look away. You're trying to make up excuses because you know that's not something part of your life and you're, it, it's it's in shadow, it's frosty. I want to encourage you to look at that. Don't leave it like that. This is what we do. This is how we learn about God. This is where we get our, our kind of our daily bread is from reading God's word. And then we have connections with the Father in prayer. If you haven't started, if you, you know this is kind of something an the area you look at, why don't you get into Luke's gospel? Read through it with us uh, going from Christmas to the cross. Uh, we've started reading it uh, with our boys as kind of part of that, and that's sort of us. So we're reading it together as a family and talking about that and we used um, a journal to help us a scripture journal this actually is levi's we got these uh this is levi's one uh that just i love these things these are brilliant because they've got the text of the bible there and you've got loads of space for notes when i went through mark's gospel last this time last year I I just, I used it to help me write prayers and comments and I got to draw on the text if anything highlighted to me. These are fantastic. If you haven't got one of these and you want to get into Luke, we've got a couple to give away. Just stick it in the chat. We'll mail you um, one of these to your door. Use it to get into uh, Luke's gospel. Get into your Bible reading prayer. Do not neglect it. Do not leave out. Don't sit there and say, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus, but I'm neglecting kind of the basics of our faith in terms of what it means what about the area of baptism jesus said that we're to go into all the world preach the gospel teach everyone and then baptize people in the name of the father son and the holy spirit if you're a christian here and you're not baptized as a believer we want to baptize you we want to sort that out uh, how's it going to happen on Zoom? I don't know. We'll set something up in your bathroom and we'll fill up the bathroom and we'll, poof, and we'll all watch and clap and cheer. We'll work something out. We'd love to baptize some people uh, via Zoom. If you know that's something you haven't got sorted out, get it sorted out. Don't let the shadow lie across your Christian life. What about it when it comes to relationships that you've got in your marriage, uh, with your kids, with wider families? Does it all look good on social media with carefully edited and filtered photographs but actually in the home it's falling apart are there things that you need to do are there there people you need to talk to are there things you need to sort out and have some frank conversations what about the area of forgiveness you know on one hand you're worshiping jesus and saying this is good but actually you hold bitterness in your heart towards other people that you know you need to forgive them and this could be something that's happened very recently it could go back months years decades even are there areas in your life that you need to sort out. What about generosity and giving financially um, to God's work and to the needs of the poor? As Christians, we play the name of Christ. We are to give regularly of what God has given us. We, we did a sermon series on this. Uh, so you can go back and review. If it's, this is kind of new to you, we did it called What's in Our Wallet. You can find it on our website, but we're to regularly give. A tie, the 10th is our baseline. That's where we start what we're doing but our and our family january new year is when we review our giving and we're going to review it again and it's going to go up again because we want to be faithful in what god has given us to steward and recognize that he gives us everything and so us giving a small 10 a more back to his work is nothing because it's all god's anyway are well, you someone who says you're a christian but actually financial giving isn't something you do isn't something part of it i want you to work that out if you're not sure about this and you're like, oh, what are you going to do? Why don't you ask someone? Why don't you ask someone close to you, ask someone dear to you um, about, are there any blind spots in my life? I did this. I sat down with Mel. I knew I was preaching on this. I knew what was coming. And I said, I said, with Mel, just where am I? What are my things that I need to work on that I might think, you know, I'm I'm off kilter. You know me the best in the world. Why don't you talk to me about that? And and she said there's some things that I need to work on. There was one of the things I'm very poor at is um, that I internalize everything. I'm a classic internal processor, an extreme one. So very little comes out of my mouth in terms of. Uh, what I'm actually sort of doing, and how I'm doing with things, and as says, I just don't know sometimes what you're working on, I don't know what God's speaking to you about, I don't know what you're, you're dealing with, I need you to talk to me about that, and uh, I'm good at standing up here preaching, talking to you, but actually I'm not very good at telling my wife some of the things that are going on in my life, um, because it's all going on inside, and I'm not letting it come out, and you said you need to deal with that, we need to work for that, and so that's something I need to be held accountable to uh, by her um, that we can I can develop at that and be a bit more open and honest about who I am and so I don't know what God's been prancing on your heart right now but we're going to finish and I'm just going to lead you in some time to do some business with God so um, maybe you just want to put down anything that's in your hand Uh, maybe you want to just kind of close your eyes sort of relax out a bit, get comfortable, open your hands. That's sometimes helpful. People do that and just give your attention to Jesus. Now, ask me, just ask Holy Spirit to come in to your heart to highlight anything, any areas, any shadowed areas you might need to deal with. Holy Spirit's really good at that. If there's something, he's probably poking it already. And what I'd love you to do now is just do a little business with the Lord. It's just you and him. And I just want you to talk to him about that. And I want you to be like that first son. It says he changed his mind. So it means he repented. And that's all you're going to do. You're just going to repent. Repent of what it is. Say, God, I I don't like that. I recognize it. I name it. I'm going to confess it to you. I'm going to repent. And I'm going to move on from that. So why don't you do that? Talk to God about it. Ask for his forgiveness. And I'll just give you a minute to do that.